Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. voice and you can understand me. Um, Ali will be back next week with Ryan. Ryan's here, hello. Hello. How you doing mate? Yeah, not bad, you? Yeah, good. I think this is the first proper one of the series. You did one and uh, we had the intro one, but the, the new series is off and running. It, this is it, yeah, this is it now. There we go. Our guest for this week is uh, BBC Radio Sheffield sports journalist, uh, Mr Rob Staten. Rob, how are you? Uh, really good guys, yeah. Uh, ready. I'm still a bit sad actually about the World Cup. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad there's actually a new season that's that's nearly here now because uh, I, it's it's I think that will possibly help me move on. But I think I might be might have taken the World Cup defeat worse than anybody else in England. <laughs> so bothered about it. So yeah, looking forward to the new season. Yeah, we, well, I'm a Leeds fan. We played our last friendly today, and that was just the, the long seven day wait for the season to start. It's uh, it's gonna be a long week. This is. I know it's interesting as Leeds don't ever get to play at Saturday at three o'clock. So no, Sunday um, at five no. we kick off. Yeah, that, that traditional good. Sunday five o'clock <laughs> start of the season. There. Good old Sky Sports for you. Always doing that for us every season it seems. But anyway, let's begin. For people that don't know, the premise of this podcast is our guests will talk us through their 11 favourite footballers in a rough estimation of a team in some sort of formation. The only caveat being they have to be retired. And at the end of them, they'll have to pick a captain as well. And at the end of the series, we're going to try and put all these teams up on the website and kind of have a little mini tournament between them with Twitter polls and stuff like that. So, Rob, let's start with goalkeeper. Who have you got? Well, I had a good think about this because sort of my favourite time watching football was the 90s. So you're going to notice that a lot of this is going to be players from the 90s um, and that's kind of when I sort of fell in love with the game yeah. and the goalkeeper I've gone for because there's a lot of good goalkeepers in the 90s but the keeper I've gone for is it's perhaps a little bit different I don't know if anybody's ever mentioned this guy before um, for this particular show but I just loved the fact that he had eight goals <laughs> in 70 odd appearances for his country and it is it's Jose Luis Schillivert who oh. was uh, the Paraguay goalkeeper yes. and I think we all kind of came to know him at France 98 when there was this, and, and this is back in the day before Twitter existed and stuff like that. So when someone mentions on the telly or you're reading a magazine somewhere or in one of the papers that there's a goalkeeper that takes all the penalties and the free kicks, yeah. it was just it was just new, it was unheard of. And when he was going up to take the free kicks and you, you saw a few highlights from smashing them in from 20 yards, yeah. if there was a penalty, he'd go up and he'd, he'd smash it into the top corner. He'd take a penalty like a goalkeeper should take a penalty, which is just yes. to hit it as hard as he can into the top well, corner. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that he wasn't just, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a unique character for that. He was actually a, a very good goalkeeper. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I thought when I was actually sort of jogging my memory of goalkeepers that I enjoyed the most when I was growing up, I just remember this guy was the first one that popped in my head and I didn't think of anybody else that wanted to push him off. So I'm actually going to go for him. 
That's a good choice. I mean, I'm it's just a very good at, choice. Looking at his stats now, 622 games. Yeah. You don't, play, you're not a, a bad keeper if you play that many games. But 46 goals in club career. That's that's very that's more than some strikers get in their career. Yeah, you've got to love it, haven't you? have got just. I mean, just imagine it's it's like there's two things that probably get a crowd really going, and one of them is a dog getting on the pitch, <laughs> and the other one is a goalkeeper going up for a pen or a free kick. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if even if they're just going up for a corner late in the game, there's always that ripple of excitement as oh, yeah. you never quite know what's going to happen. And and the corner always seems to go towards the goalkeeper when they've gone up for a, mm-hmm. for a corner kick, um, as if they're the one. You know, the ones who never head the ball are the ones who <laughs> get you the equaliser in the last second. Um, but when when one goes up for a pen or a, or in Schillerbert's case to to smash a free kick as hard as he can, and the fact that he, he wasn't just a gimmick that he he was actually a decent free kick taker, I just think that that warrants. Um, some kind of honour, like being named in this team. Yeah, I remember him, the World Cup 98. I think he he almost scored a free kick, didn't he? One of the group games. I can't remember which game it was against, but I definitely remember him like lining up and taking one. Do you remember this? Did he, did he score World Cup 2002? Did he score? I don't, I don't know. think he ever scored in a World Cup, but I th- I th- if I'm right, I think... I'm trying to think how far they got in the tournament and whether they got out of the group. I, I just seem to... Have this feeling that maybe they got they lost to France in the knockout stages, and I just would have loved to have seen Paraguay in, in extra time because it would have been a golden goal back oh, yeah. then. That, that was still a thing, and whether he'd have come forward to—I mean, imagine if Paraguay had won a World <laughs> Cup game uh, through a golden goal from a free kick from the keeper from twenty yards. Been still be talking about it now. Yeah, they lost, I mean, the, lost in the second round uh, to France one 0 in extra time. So yeah, yeah, so it was possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, great player. I mean, I think he, he actually got a mention on on the intro episode because we were talking about great goalies that you know you think of. And I just remember playing sort of like pro evo something or other, and him just being the guy. Like you, you play as Paraguay because for some reason you do World Cup modes with your friends, and then all of a sudden it's uh, oh wait, wait, why is the goalkeeper taking a free kick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you try it once and it doesn't quite work as well. No, definitely not. That's that's a strong start to this team. Um, how many defenders are you going to line up with? In this team, well, I've gone for three. I, I suspect most people okay. will go for three, just because you want to, you know, you want to put more attacking-minded players yeah, in, exactly. in your side. And and my formation, I've, I've been sort of, it's, it's quite a liberal use of the term formation. But I've just tried <laughs> to fine. fit all, all of the players in that I like. So I've gone for a back three. Okay. Um, I, I put Fabio Cannavaro in there just just because when I, when you're growing up, the, nowadays a, a defender who can actually play the ball is not quite an uncommon thing you know mm. we even have one from Sheffield who's been in the England team recently in Harry Maguire and yeah. you know if, if if the if the South Yorkshire is producing ball playing centre-halves then you know that it's it's not quite <laughs> the, the unique thing to be anymore uh, but back in back in the 90s he was that player he'd have a touch of class and you know, he'd play when you know you think of the Italian defenders at that time you've got Maldini and Nesta and people like that yeah and Cannavaro just had that control. That he was, he was a touch of class at the back. Just a class act. Never got flustered. Good on the ball, but physically very strong. Helped Italy win the World Cup. Um, and just there was always, if there was always one defender when I was a kid, sort of growing up, that I, that I sort of admired the most, it was probably Cannavaro. And it was, he was playing you know, back when Itali- um, football Italia used to be a thing, and mm-hmm. you know Italian football still had that bit of romance about it, and yeah. and that bit of quality. And and it was great to sort of watch players like that. And um, yeah, I wanted to stick him in there, and I've stuck him in there with two very different defenders. Okay. Um, very English, 
very complete opposites of, of Cannavaro. And, and the reason is he's just sort of my Euro 96 nostalgia, really. Because right. I was 12 when Euro 96 happened. Obviously, I'd been following football before then. But that was the thing that really got me into England. I've been a huge England fan ever since and really sort of live and breathe through the tournaments that happen every year. Yeah. And, and it was that tournament that really made it for me. And, and the, the two that I've gone for are Stuart Pearce, just because I, I was probably, I do remember Italia 19, although I was very, very young. Mm. But I don't really remember it in any kind of emotional way. But that penalty when he, when he scored at Euro 96, that redemption moment, yes. has, always, has always stuck with us. So even though Stuart Pearce in a back three... Uh, <laughs> I've, I've stuck him in anyway. I just, I'll, I will never ever forget that celebration. I, th- I, I think that Stuart Pearce played the game um, like fans would want their their players to play the game. And yes. I think there was what was the tournament, the Euros in Sweden, where who was the French player? Was it Basil Bolly? Who was it who nutted him? Who headbutted Stuart Pearce? Yeah, Bolly had a reputation for that. And, sure, and, and Pierce just mm. just got straight. Up. I mean, imagine if Neymar had got headbutted in the last World Cup. He'd <laughs> probably still, still be rolling today. around on the floor now. Yeah, he'd yeah, probably, yeah. probably still be peeling him off the turf in Russia. <laughs> so he gets straight up and just and just cracks on with the game with this huge scar on his face. He's been nutted in the face and just proceeds. And I think he nearly won the game against France. He hit the crossbar <laughs> or the post in that. And and the other one was I think he made his debut against Brazil at Wembley. Right. And I remember John Barnes was talking about this. John Barnes was saying. He saw the worst tackle that he'd ever seen on a football pitch on Stuart Pearce in this game. And I've seen the replay of it, where there was a Brazilian player, two-footed challenge on Stuart Pearce. Yeah. And, and Pearce goes down and you're thinking, oh, no, God, has he broken his leg or something? And Pearce just gets straight back up. <laughs> and the Brazilian player's injured. He's hurt his ankle, actually, two-footing. Stuart Pearce and Pearce just gets when the crowd goes. So Pearce has got, like, iron crazy. legs or something. Yeah, I don't know. He, just, he was just made of steel, I think. So... Uh, you know, Stuart Pearce for me, I, I had to stick him in. And the other player that, you know, that I really think sort of showed that passion during, during Euro '96, and um, it, it was the captain Tony Adams. And yeah. I've, I must have watched a million times the, the national anthems from before the Spain game mm-hmm. when they sort of run down the line, and there's only Gary Neville not singing it, and then they come to Tony Adams, and he, and he practically fell over at the end of the national <laughs> anthem singing the last line of it. And he said Queen at the end. He kind of jolts forward, and you know, he's for me, it just you know that's. It's maybe just a bit of a daft thing, but I, that's, I like to see an England captain that really it really means something to him, and I got that impression with Adams. And the oh, other yeah. one was the other national anthem was when the, at Euro '96 before the Germany game, when obviously the band stopped. I never I never realised if this was deliberate or not, but the band kind of didn't play, did they? And the crowd just sang the national anthem with yeah. the players, and just one of the great, all-time great moments for me. And and just seeing the passion on the players' faces, and, and Adams really encapsulated that. And at, at Arsenal. I, I just a really commanding force was was a, he's the kind of player that Arsenal's probably needed ever since he retired yeah. really especially in the last few years they've, they've really missed someone like that and I always remember the goal I mean, why on earth when Arsenal won the title one year I think they won a game three 0 in the final game of the season and for some reason the ball yeah against Everton and, and some reason the ball was played through and Tony Adams was running through one on one with the keepers <laughs> yeah. almost as if he's he'd stayed up front and said I'm having a goal and <laughs> and, and then stuck it. <laughs> Stuck it in, and for some reason that kind of that moment in the nineties has always stuck with me as well. I'm never, never quite sure why he was up there, but he was, and and just a great moment. Yeah, definitely. Wow, let's break that down, Ryan. But Cannavaro was in my team. He is an absolute phenom for me. He was five foot nine, yet controlled that back line like he was six foot five. He was an absolute monster. For a centre back to win the Ballon d'Or is unheard of. I mean, he won mm-hmm. in two thousand and six, and it, it just wouldn't happen now. That would no, not definitely happen. Wouldn't. No, or 12 no. years on. 
and he was it was phenomenal. He got me that the Italian defences back in the mid nineties. That that Parma team in the Inter, Juve, all those. That, football Italia was the Sunday afternoons for me. That was the best thing about Sunday afternoons was watching that. Yeah. it's a whole new world. It was really was, and the level of defending was out of this world. Ryan Cannavaro memories. Uh, well, I was going to say I think it's, it's just what a good defender is, regardless of yeah. He, he, as you said, he's five nine. He's not. Not massive, but he still controlled everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he still had physicality and still was able to win balls, etc. And you, you touch on the Italian defensive teams, and it's just mainly about they, those teams and people like Cannavaro show you what a good defence is or an exceptional defence actually is. Mm. You know, it's it's always being in the right place, and it's not just running around a bit like head to shoot, and just playing the ball in the right way. Yeah. And that's I think sometimes what a lot of defenders lose is. Well, I need to be a ball-playing defender, so I need to be able to spray a pass 60 yards. Well, no, you don't. You need to be able to, a bit like David Luiz in that sense, you know. Um, it just has to be someone that can knock the ball around and, and be calm under pressure. And obviously, he was one of those guys. Yeah, Pierce and Adams, I think you can kind of, like you did, Rob, you can put these two together as they're the emotional heart of those England teams in the mid-90s. They were the team, they were the two players that drove that team on to almost success. If Gaza was two inches no, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Do you know, every time I watch that, I, uh, I watch that highlight so many times. That every time I see, I just think this will be the time that yeah. Gaza scores. It's got to go in this time. Oh, I can remember that so clear as day. That, but yeah, those two. That I, th- I think I was, must be the same age as you because I vaguely remember you're <laughs> a World Cup ninety, but you're in ninety six was when it all fell into place. World Cup ninety four and you're in ninety six with those those two tournaments, and. That was the last time that the country had that feeling about the England team, 96, 12 years ago, until again this summer. And there wasn't really a player like Stuart Pearce in this current team, I don't think. But when he scored that penalty, that just looked like the release of six six long years of having that missed penalty on his mind, I think. It just almost exploded with emotion. Yeah, I, th- I think that um, just, just for me, and I'm sure that a lot of people, I, I feel like you've, in that that's how I'd celebrate it, that kind of situation. Yeah, I think definitely. a lot of fans feel that. You know, if you, if you were a true, real England fan, just that moment of joy mixed in with that relief and just the emotion, like you say, of six years of probably not sleeping because of that penalty. I mean, imagine having to live with that. That's the thing about yeah. the mental torture of, of knowing that your penalty and obviously Chris Waddle's penalty cost England a chance of being in the World Cup final. Mm. And I suspect that some of the England team currently, are, are perhaps John Stones is is thinking about the goal that led to Croatia's winner or Kyle Walker thinks about how they go. There may well be because it's just the anguish of you're so close and yet you were partly responsible for it not happening and and that will live with you. And then you you just all came out, didn't you? And that one moment, suddenly there was that release. And I think we saw a bit of that with Gareth Southgate when England beat Colombia as well, the way that he celebrated that. That was his Pierce moment. And I, I don't know, I just loved that... Football's changed a lot. You were talking about, you know, how football Italia was great on a Sunday and stuff like that. There seems to be a lot of moments like that in football back in the in the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. and early two thousand. Now that seems to have gone out of the game, but still seeing these stories and these redemption stories, I, I quite like that about the game, and it's something that the game needs. Yeah, Ryan, what's your overall memories of Stuart Pearce? Uh, well, you know, it, it's just a bit of a mental case, really, wasn't it? But in the right, but in the right way, psycho, you know, psycho, yeah. Um, 
And just, I think you touched on that a little bit in terms of not having someone this time around in that sense. Whereas, you know, if a player was sort of sulking down, you still appear to just sort of run over to him, have a massive go and say, sort it out. Yeah. You know, yeah forget everything else right now. Get on with it. And and as you touched on, Rob, with the, you know, the, the amount of times he'd be either headbutted or badly tackled and he'd just get on with it. And that's the type of player he was. And and he, he tried to get everyone else to follow that as well, which I think is very important for a player in that sense. And Tony Adams, I mean, there's a statue of him outside the Emirates. That's a, a, a that that's massive. I think that says that. A, yeah, that says enough, really, yeah. about him, isn't it? But I mean, you're in '96. He was captain of England. Well, he was in the England squad, and he was a, a major part of it. But this is what four or five years off the back of his. Um, he had his drink driving thing, didn't he? He crashed his car, I think, and I think he went to prison for a few months, actually, as well. So to come back from that to becoming that as important as a player of his, as he was for England and for Arsenal. It's almost like a great redemption story, isn't it? In, in a way of, you know, taking your demons and, and running with it and actually yeah. getting on with it. A bit like, you know, talking about Stuart Pearce in terms of just getting on with things. Mm. It's a shame he's ruined his, that, his playing career of his managerial career after it. But we're, <laughs> uh, Well, yeah. <laughs> being, being in Portsmouth and witnessing the Portsmouth rain, that was hilarious to me because I hate them. So it was quite funny. Mm. <laughs> um, who's your first midfielder then, Rob? Okay, the the first midfielder I've gone for because as as a teenager I I just loved David Beckham and so much so that I had the, when he had the the curtains haircut I had yeah. to have that <laughs> and then and then I can remember watching Match of the Day and noticing as David Beckham it was the colour of his hair changed and it had it it had gone blonde <laughs> so I can remember sort of asking my mum if if I can have that done and strangely she agreed. So a couple of weeks later, I, I had it. I remember walking into school um, with this, these blonde curtains and no one else at the school had, had got it yet. And the lads were absolutely, you know, taking the piss really. Yeah. About it. I've got this, this blonde, but all, all the girls seemed to be a lot more positive about it because it was better than hair. <laughs> and not, not trying to suggest that Freddie Second, that I kind of was the, the catalyst for this more than, but, but nearly everybody in the school had blonde curtains within about a month of this Beckham doing it. Oh, yeah. So... I'd like that. I mean, we're talking about redemption things. I mean, yeah. this is another one. You know, obviously the Argentina red card. Everybody hated him yeah. um, after, after the '98 World Cup, and and all the papers were very, very uh, unpleasant about the fact that he got sent off in that game. Um, and then to come back and become the England captain and, and have the, the penalty against Argentina, yeah. I think he was a player that, for all the celebrity and the lifestyle that he had. Nothing mattered more to him really than, than playing for England, and the Greece game is the one that kind of stands out when England were going to mm-hmm. blow it. Um, they'd, they'd obviously beaten Germany five-one. All they had to do was beat Greece at Old Trafford to get to the 2002 World Cup, and it was the single most frustrating England game I think you'll ever see. I mean, now <laughs> that we know that Greece won Euro 2004, it, you know, three just under three years after that. So they weren't weren't a bad team, Greece. No, but at, at the time, nobody really knew that was going to happen. And England toiled so much in that game. But there was just one guy who was just, he was all, he was mm. non-stop. It was the single best individual performance that I can remember um, seeing from anybody in an England shirt. And the way that he carried that team never gave up, gave every ounce of energy to that performance I, I wrote a piece obviously Russell know that I'm a big Seahawks fan that the only other yeah, individual yeah. performance I've seen comparable to that was uh, Shaquem Griffin when they played Auburn in the, at UFC Auburn mm-hmm. in the in the bowl game this year 
and and that is up there with David Beckham against Greece. He just dragged England, and then the penalty, uh, the penalty, the free kick at the end yeah. to actually get the draw, which got England to the World Cup, was sort of one of my favourite moments as a football fan. So I had to put him in there. That, yeah, that's a fantastic memory, and it, 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 every England fan can picture that vividly to the day. And the commentary about saying give that man a knighthood after he knocks it in, it's. It's so good. I laughed at the, the the curtains instant. I didn't have the curtains, but I did go for the mohawk. I uh, I oh shaving that myself into my head. My mum was not pleased. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, probably towards the the, end, the, less, the the later part of his career, the celebrity kind of overshadowed his football ability. But one of the the cleanest strikers of a ball I've ever seen, and a technique that I'd never seen before, the way he would kind of whip his leg around it. It's, it was something I'd never seen at this point. And Ryan, he must have been peak kind of your football youth, really. Beckham must have been the biggest star in the world, wouldn't he? Yeah, no, he definitely was. I mean, you, you said about the Greece game, and I remember it at a friend's house. And I actually put him in my team as well, because it's one of those things that Beckham, not only as a player, even though, even if you take that celebrity aspect, and you look how famous he is now, considering he's been retired for a few years. Yeah. And so, you know, his time at United, the halfway line goal, you know, the free kick against Greece. Uh, mm. You even look at his time, and he effectively made the MLS what it is today. Yeah. You know, that I think that part of his career almost can't be forgotten because at that point, no one was going to America to finish their career. It was a almost. massive shock when that was announced. I remember being at work and hearing that on the radio thinking, what, what? He could, surely he could have gone anywhere, but he'd gone to America. He could have. And then to, the fact that he, you, to take that and to go from MLS to I can't remember whether it was Milan or PSG I know he played at both at some point didn't he yeah. um, you know to go there and say like, I don't need the money it's not for the money it's just they offered me a chance to come here and I did and you know you, you look at some of the goals he scored even say in the MLS oh, yeah, the quality isn't as great but that technique of, of hitting the ball so cleanly mm. and just what he was able to do with it it's so trademark at this point no one's ever going to be able to stand over a ball and do the same things that he did with it. No, he made himself a, a brand, which you've got to go to America to, to do that. You, you you see LeBron James now and people like that. He's up there with those sort of celebrities, Tiger Woods and Floyd Mayweather. He's, he's, he doesn't fill out a place with those guys there. And fantastic footballer. He's been, he's been in a few of these teams on this podcast as well. So I think we've got a good array of guests that actually appreciate Beckham for the player that he was. Yeah. Who's your next midfielder, Rob? Okay, the next one that I wanted to put in um, was a, was a player that has, has played locally that I've I've interviewed many times and and even sat in a pub with him once and had a good hour talking to him about his memories as a as a player that played abroad, which was not the most common thing for English footballers and and that's that's Chris Waddle oh, and and I just think that he um, there was just he, he just a class player just just a, a, a player that didn't rely on you know, incredible athleticism or, you know, unique pace, just a mastermind in how to beat a man. Mm. And it's it's a skill that's really gone out of the game. There was, uh, people will probably remember the clip when he took on Ryan Giggs when he was playing for Sheffield Wednesday and he, yes. you know, turned Giggs inside out. I think it was 93. And, and you think of, of moments like that. He was, his, his time at Marseille, you know, you can go on and, and look at the YouTube clips of his time out there and, and some of the magic that he created. Mm. The, the, the Italian 90 in Germany, where the goal wouldn't have counted, but when it there was the free kick given on halfway, I think, against David Platt, but it just kind of just fell to him and from 40 yards. He absolutely smashed it yeah. um, towards goal, and the keeper just sort of touched it onto the crossbar, didn't he? And if that had gone in and, 
imagine England scoring a goal like that in a semi-final. <laughs> um, and, and just, I think that it's something, like I say, that we've perhaps lost. As Footballers are much better athletes in general now yeah. than they've ever been. You know, sports science and, and the way that it's, it, the game is a lot more professional than it was 20, 30 years ago in terms of preparation, athleticism, the players probably don't drink as much as they used to. Uh, but back then, you had to sort of use your mind a little bit as well as your physicality. And, and, and I don't think I've ever seen a player live who had a better brain than, than Chris Waldron, his ability to, to read a defender and just tear them to shreds. Um, there was one game he played for Sheffield Wednesday where it's it's known around these parts as the Waddle game. Right. And he, Wednesday beat West Ham 5-0. And Waddle just had an incredible solo performance. It's a, it's a legendary performance in these parts. And it kind of just encapsulated towards the end of his career what a, what a terrific talent he was. Yeah, he was super. I kind of I didn't massively become aware of him until the kind of the, the latter stages of his career, like probably the end of the Wednesday run, and then he kind of moved around the clubs. So remember playing for Sunderland for a little bit and scoring a really good free kick actually in one of those games. But yeah, going back and watching him, he was an absolute magician with the ball. Some of the things he could do, he kind of the, the archetype for players these days. I reckon a lot of the professionals that we've got now would have grown up watching him and thinking that's what I want to be because he didn't really have. A position as such was he? He was just an attacker basically. He he wouldn't sit in the midfield. He wouldn't play out wide too much. He would just be all over the the the, the last third of the pitch really. And those are the players you see everywhere today. But yeah, also, I think he's he he's, he'd be really good as nowadays yeah. with a lot of teams playing sort of three at the back um, and wing backs who love to push on. He'd be great playing next to the strikers or in that number ten free roll type of thing. That's oh, yeah. the he would thrive in a role like that these days. He's also really good on Five Live, because I had to listen to a lot of the World Cup at work, and he was a really good commentator, actually, especially when it came to the penalty shootouts. They would ask him yeah. his thoughts on them. Think, well, I'm the wrong person to be asking, don't ask me. And, 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 I don't, <laughs> and I don't want to sound overly emotional, given that we've talked about Stuart Pearce in such a whimsical way, and then Beckham as well, but I think <laughs> the way that Waddle, and, and I spoke to him, I interviewed him after the World Cup and, and asked him about this, and... And I think the the way that he commentated after sweet after the Sweden game, where yeah. he, he broke down in tears because he yeah. was just so emotional that England had got to a semi final again. He didn't think he'd see it again in his lifetime. And when I spoke to him about England afterwards, I just asked him a really generic question, like, you know, is this is this England moving in the right direction? And he talked for about six seven minutes without a break about <laughs> England, and it just it just summed up to me how much he cares about England and how much it still means a lot to him. So. Um, I sincerely hope that he will be commentating at the Euros in a couple of years and, and watching England again challenging at the uh, at the latter stages of the tournament. Yeah, I really hope so. No, you can like you can tell that passion for England is there still. It's really it, it came through in his in his, um, in his commentating. Ryan, what do you remember of Chris Waddle? Not much, if I'm honest. Us, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, sort of having he, he played his last. Um, National game went in the year I was born, so oh, yeah. you know, not much. <laughs> do, you, do you know what a mullet is? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, one it. of those. Um, Have you ever heard Diamond Lights? The, the cigarettes, right? No, it's, oh, it's no. a song. Oh, Diamond! Oh, I thought you meant that. Oh. See, that's <laughs> see. There you go. No, uh, yeah. but the fact that the fact that people know about him now, even if they haven't got the experience of watching him, it says a lot about the character he was and yeah. the player that he was. Definitely, yeah. And I will uh, link your YouTube video to Diamond Lights after yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're in for a treat there. Yeah. PKTs, that is. Um, who's your next midfielder, Rob? 
Okay, so I wanted to have. I like a, a midfield hard man. There's, yes. there's not many of them these days. Again, so um, I think sort of the the archetypal sort of midfield hard man in my era of, of enjoying football was was Roy Keane. And people will have very mixed opinions about Roy Keane. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people only really know him as a pundit these days. And you, either, I think, you either really enjoy his disdain for literally everything, <laughs> or you find him quite annoying. But I, I, as a player, he was just. If you had the Manchester United teams in the nineties, would have, you know, your your Cantonars and 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 Scholes and Beckham's and, and Giggs and player like that. Yeah. But it probably wouldn't have worked. Would they have been European champions without Keane as as the focal point, sort of in in the middle, keeping everything together? He was just such a fantastic player. You know, a good footballer, not just a hard man. Mm. A, a terrific footballer, great energy and motor, very technically gifted. But there was just something about. You, you saw Roy Keane in the middle and you just had that fear factor, that intimidation factor to opponents. And and, and although he's been criticised often by people like Sir Alex Ferguson in his book, for example, for for, for spreading negativity at times or criticising teammates, I think that the, the high standards that he maintained during his time at Manchester United probably played a big part in them staying at the top. So, And, I, and actually, I, I, I run the risk of... of disagreeing with you two on this because I, I don't know what you think about him but I actually quite like him as a pundit I think some of the stuff he says is for effect but um, I, I quite, find it quite funny when he's when he's being asked about the the closing ceremony of the World Cup and whether he enjoyed it and he just goes not really no <laughs> he's a very honest pundit isn't he he really yeah. just does not care yeah I mean this one's hard for me because Roy Keane is probably my most hated footballer of all time because <laughs> of the Alfinger Holland yes. incident. Yes. Being a Leeds yes. fan, that was not. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, a black mark for me against his career. But like you say, that Man United team would not have worked without Keane holding it all together in midfield. You can't have Giggs, Goals, and Beckham marauding forward if there's not someone that's going to sit there in front of Pallister and Bruce and. Rio and Vidic, you need a player like Roy Keane, and all the successful teams now have this guy in the midfield that isn't flashy, isn't fancy, will just do a job. Like Ryan's a Chelsea fan, they've got the prime example in Ngolo Kante, he will just yeah. get the ball, give it to his better teammates, and off they go. And yeah, although I don't like him, I, I have to appreciate he was a very good footballer, and his punditry is very funny. It's just, it's brilliant because it's not really punditry. It's just, no, just what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Well, it's a bit rubbish, really, isn't it? Oh, right, sorry, Ron, tell it how it, you know, say how it is. <laughs> I, I, it was, it was the queer, it was the Carlos Kiros one that that was sort of made me laugh the most. Was when the when he was asked about Kiros when he was at Manchester United. Now the Iran, he was the Iran coach during the World Cup, and mm. he said something along the lines of, um, "Good coach." Uh, his second time at the club, we had a bit of a disagreement. He, he challenged. <laughs> my loyalty and I told him where to go and my biggest regret is that I didn't rip his head off yeah <laughs> but a good coach though um, it's just the fact that he threw that in at the end good coach though yeah. <laughs> okay so Roy Keane Chris Waddle and David Beckham so far in midfield is there a fourth um the, the kind of is right. it's, it's, it's more he's more of an attacker but I included him in the midfield okay. uh, under under the premise that maybe Beckham and Keane not so much Waddle would be able to compensate for the fact that that this guy's in there as well. Okay. And yeah, I, I'm not a Man United fan by any stretch, um, but Eric Cantona was was sort of the the player of the 90s. You know, he was he was the Premier League king really, and and I, I just a character, um, a great 
a great player who, who demanded a lot and, and had controversy during his career as well, of course, with the, the Kung Fu kick. But that kind of all led to to the mystery of, of the man, really. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the, it was, it was, I mean, during the 90s, a lot of the stars in the Premier League were just the, the best English players who were in the Premier League. You know, people like Shearer, Chris Sutton and, and people like that. The Premier League's changed a lot since then, and, and the world's best players at the time were probably playing in Italy rather than Serie A, rather than playing in the Premier League. You know, the game's completely changed. But Cantona was one of those players that, you know, if he was playing today, he, he'd be playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid probably. Oh, definitely, and, and he'd be he'd be the he'd be the kind of guy that goes for 150 million pounds and and uh, just a complex character with it almost felt like you knew nothing about him really. And yet you knew lots about him too on the pitch, and and just the the, the moments that he provided on the pitch, the, the chip against Sunderland, mm-hmm. um, which gets played an awful lot, and, and moments of magic like that. And again, you know, you talk about Manchester United without Roy Keane, what would they've been? But that that United team, you know, what, what, would Man United be the team that they 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 are or, or were under Fergie without Cantona as well? And 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 so that that nineties team seemed to have. A lot of reliance on people like Cantona and Keane, and, and and laid the path for mm. you know the younger guys coming through the Giggses, the Beckhams, the Butts, the Skulls. So, so yeah, I, I felt growing up in the nineties and loving football and the Premier League in the nineties that that Cantona had to be in there. It's like you're, you're trying to hurt me, Rob. It's almost deliberate at this point. <laughs> I know I'm sorry, but it, <laughs> and I could mention he had a decent little spell at Leeds, and he, he even had a trial at, at Sheffield Wednesday. He did, yeah. So um, he, he's been around. Yeah, we signed him for 900 grand from Nimes, uh, and then we sold him for 1.2 million pounds to Man United. Um, well, the story here, I mean, I don't know if people are aware that Eric Cantona, the, the trial at Sheffield Wednesday was actually in an indoor match at the Sheffield Arena against a team called the Baltimore Blast, an American wow. team. And they came and played in, in the arena indoors, and Cantona played for Sheffield Wednesday in this game. And the manager at the time, Trevor Francis, is famously quoted as saying, he needed to see Cantona on grass right. to determine whether or not he was worth signing, and then the rest is history. He helped Leeds. He helped Leeds win the league. <laughs> yeah, I mean the story of how he left, left Leeds was incredible. That we actually phoned up Man United to ask if Dennis Irwin was available, and somehow that ended, that ended up with him not being available and us selling them Eric Cantona. But like I say, he, mm. he he changed that team. They Man United had originally approached David Hurst, Matt Tisse, and Brian Dean before. Cantona was kind of the fourth in that list of players they approached. If they had signed any of those players, they would have been a completely different team. I mean, Letizia probably the closest to Cantona in terms of the way he played, but David Hurst scored a ton of goals. Yeah, and I just there was just something... I, I don't know. I, maybe it's... I like characters in the game. Mm. And, and sometimes characters, you know, that they are people you, you don't necessarily like. And I think that's where Keane and Cantona came in, I suspect, I can't really remember because it's such a long time ago now, that when Man United played away from home, th- those were the players that, that probably got the biggest stick from the, the, the home fans and, yeah. and they were the, the target for a lot of abuse and a lot of chance and stuff like that and, and they were the players that you'd want to see lose more, more than anything. Oh yeah, definitely. You yeah. know, it's, it's it's probably not Steve Bruce and people like and, hmm. and Peter Michael necessarily. It was it was your Keynes and your Cantonars, but 
I like that. I, I think there's probably too many bland footballers these days. Oh yeah, um, like James Milner. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not, not not just. I mean, you go down the leagues, and and it seems like footballers are, are all in a in a competition sometimes to be as bland as possible. <laughs> now, as someone who does a lot of press conferences, I can tell you that that you remember the few that are actually interesting. Yeah. And I don't know why. I, I, I guess PR and media teams over the years have got it into footballers that to tell to say absolutely nothing not to give not to have a relationship with the media and, and do stuff like that don't think it does anybody any favors and i think the ones that, that have got a bit about them and i think maybe the england team at the world cup have shown that having a bit of personality and, and engaging with the media is a good thing um but canton i wasn't one for necessarily engaging with the media but it was just a complex character yeah it was interesting and even if you hated him with all your guts you, you kind of had to admire him as well and i kind of like that about footballers that are like that yeah, definitely. I mean, Ryan Cannon, maybe retired, but kind of at the beginning of your main football watching career. But he's he's a legend. Well, legacies. Yeah, as I say, the legacy has lived on. Um, I think there was a. Was it? I think I was watching like Premier League Legends or something on Netflix, and I think they had one about him actually, mm. just about his career and everything. And obviously, you know, had a couple of of mad moments. Um, but generally, you know, just a fan, just to compare, I said a few, um, but fantastic footballer. And you say about the character thing, and even now, I mean, during the World Cup, uh, I can't remember whoever sent me the video, but there was a video of him. He had a suitcase, like, but it was a yellow suitcase, and this is the Neymar suitcase. Right. He says it's really good because it's really fast and it's great at rolling around. <laughs> and it was like a 20 second, 30 second clip. What, who thought of that idea and why Eric Cantona was around to be like, you know what, this is perfect for me. Yeah, I'll do it. No idea. But, he, you know, you said, you said it, Robbie, great character. And, you know, his personality is what I think a lot of footballers are, are lacking these days. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, 20 goals in 45 games for France, that's no mean feat either. He kind of, that kind of gets pushed to one side of what a, a, a talisman he was for that French team before it all went wrong. But that's a strong midfield, Rob. A very strong very midfield. Very strong. Um, mm. I mean, I'm I don't know. I've taken a liberty there because Cantona is not really a midfielder per se, but um, I've kind of shoehorned him into me. I'm asking him to do a job, shall we say? He's going to say don't, don't, we've all, you know, <laughs> made you know concessions with our teams, and when, when they go on, when they go onto the website, it'll be a case of looking at going, this doesn't make any logical sense, yeah. but it will work. It's fine. Yeah, my sports team has just employed me, Marcello Bielsa, so I'm going. I'm, these sort of formations are going to come. Second to me, <laughs> um, so that must leave three strikers. Who's the first one? Okay, so um, the, the first one I'm going to include is is Davos Suka because oh. um, when, I, when when I was younger, my uh, we used to go to Seville a lot on holiday. My my dad did business with with a with a chap in Seville, right. so we used to, we used to holiday quite a few times over there. And all the t- again, this is at a time when. La Liga wasn't on Sky, so you you couldn't watch the Spanish football. Yeah. Um, you, you didn't really have an awareness of the players playing in La Liga outside of Madrid, Barcelona, maybe something like Rivaldo was playing in Deportivo and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So the knowledge wasn't wasn't quite there, but there was all this talk. Hey, there's this good striker playing for Seville called Davos Suque, and then at Euro '96, and then obviously the World Cup in '98. It was just it was amazing to sort of hear that name, that name sort of stick in your mind that. You know, he was this great player for for Seville, and we'd gone there, and you know, I'd, I'd got a few Seville shirts that I used to buy when we went over, right. and to know that he was playing there, and then to sort of see him do it on the on the world stage and, and come to prominence, win the win the uh, Golden Boot, the World Cup in in '98, help Croatia get to the third place uh, playoff and win that, 
and then to go on and have the, the career that he did. And I just think there's, I, I've always kind of liked strikers that aren't necessarily, they don't have incredible size or physicality or pace, but they've just got that. I mean, Gary Lineker was a bit like that, wasn't yes. he? Just, just, just got that nose for a goal. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing, if they, if they did sort of a, a an athletic test between someone like Davos Suka <laughs> and, 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 all, and all the, you know, a lot of other top strikers, or if they asked him to do some weightlifting or something, he, he wouldn't win any of those. No. But just in and around the box, you know, he's, he's probably one of the few strikers in the last 20, 30 years that there were very few that were as reliable and as trustworthy as he was. He was a, he was a proper poacher. And I've, and I've always respected that about him. Oh, certainly. I mean, almost a career record of almost one and two, 440 games at 203 goals. That's, that's phenomenal. I just saw that. And uh, unbelievable stats. Yeah. Even, mean, especially at international level as well. Yeah, 45 and 69. That goes, that's, that's some going. And I remember him mainly from the Real Madrid-Arsenal time, but that's Seville record, 76 goals in 150 games. That the Seville would be one of those teams that you'd see in the, the Cup Winners' Cup or someone like that where you'd these odd Spanish teams that you'd never really heard of before would appear. They'd have this superstar player and that'd be it. You see them for one day and, and then they'd be gone, but they'll forever be in your mind. And Suka from World Cup 98, that, that Croatia team were fantastic. Probably the best they've had until this the recent World Cup. And yeah, he was a standout player for them. And amongst a team of really good players like Zavmir Boban and players like that. But what a striker. Like you say, he wasn't the quickest, wasn't the strongest, but you get in the ball in the 18-yard box, it is a goal every single time. Right? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, as the stats don't lie, really, do they? I mean, that's... Uh, Rob said, you you know, you said he was a great poacher, and, you know, yeah, as you said, Ross, ball comes into the box, chance that he's going to score it. Yeah. You don't play for Real Madrid if you're not very good up front. I mean, I think I think the only player that's probably quite as reliable as he is, someone like Lewandowski now, is, is, is that kind of... Mm. You know, it goes into the box... Do you back it? You know, are you going to back to get the finish in there? And and and, and Suka was that kind of player. Yeah, um, and, and there are again, it's another it's another position because of the way that football's gone. You know, you're not playing big man, little man anymore, and and having front twos and getting loads of crosses in, and that, it's kind of gone out the game a little bit. But there was just mm. those those classic poachers who just relied on on instinct and and, and awareness, and knowing where the goal was, and then being able to finish and execute was you know that was it was a great thing. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's not a bad start to your front line. Um, who's your, mate, your next striker? Well, listen, I want to mention that I was, I was really tempted to put Andrei Shevchenko in the team. But it, I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I've not included him. Right. For the last two years, someone has been cold call, a, a, a company has been cold calling our office <laughs> um, at Radio Sheffield. And for the last two years, I've been telling them that I'm Andrei Shevchenko. <laughs> And that I live at Buckingham Palace, and it's and not one occasion have they stopped and gone, oh, all right, mate, or hung up the phone. They've actually had conversations about whether I want a new boiler, um, how, how long have I had my windows at my house, oh, is this, what, what's my mobile phone supplier, and every single time they'll go, is this Mr. Shevchenko? <laughs> yes, Andre Shevchenko, Mr. Andre Shevchenko. And they go through all of the things like, have you, you know, you're working or retired? I'm, I'm retired. Um, just, just come back from <laughs> Milan and, and stuff like this. And in, I'm, I've never talked to a football. None of them have ever been football fans. They've never picked up on the fact that I'm a, a bloke from Yorkshire pretending to be Andre Shevchenko. So <laughs> even though he's not made the cut, I wanted to give you sort of an honourable mention. Be the oh, first off yeah. the bench if we needed a goal. Um, the, the second one I want to include was is Ronaldo. Um, not. 
Cristiano, obviously, because he's still playing. The but Ronaldo. The Ronaldo, yes. the, the original Ronaldo. Because I think when people talk about Pelé and Maradona, and, and today it's Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, mm-hmm. and they talk about those four as, as are they possibly the best ever, the greatest ever players. And I think Ronaldo warrants being, and, and Zidane warrant being in that conversation as oh, well, yeah, because definitely. Ronaldo at his best, and perhaps the, the World Cup final in 98 and you know the way that his career finished has maybe soured people's memory of, of how good he was. I mean, you're talking about a player that was as skillful and as brilliant a player running with the ball as any that's that's ever played. Yeah. His his ability to bob and weave through tackles and it was just it was it was a magician. And yet he had this size to him and presence, didn't he? And he was mm. no slouch in terms of pace either. He was just unbelievable. Just seeing him break through. I can remember his early time he was at PSV and then he, uh, he goes and plays in Spain, plays for the two top clubs in Spain. I mean, there, there were just times when he was unstoppable. And, and, and I think he's the kind of player that in any era of football, if he was still playing today, he would have been just as good as he was then. There was, there was he, just a, a true genius and um, someone who warrants being known as one of the best ever, I think. And I, and I don't think he quite gets that respect. And, and won, obviously, World Cups as well, so. He certainly is on this podcast. I think he's maybe the most included player on this. He's certainly in my team. He was an absolute phenomenon. The the ability to speed up whilst doing stepovers is something I've never seen from a player apart from Ronaldo. There's, there's YouTube videos of all his compilations of his, his, his greatest goals and they all kind of involve some sort of stepover, two or three stepovers and then just bursting past a player. A man of considerable size as well. He's six foot. He, he weighed a fair old ton as well, but especially his later Real Madrid career. But his goal record: forty-two in forty-six for PSV, thirty-four in thirty-seven in one season for Barca, forty-nine and sixty-eight in Inter, and eighty-three and one hundred twenty-seven for Real. When he was, to be fair, massively overweight as well, he was still an absolute beast. And in injuries took their toll on him. He, his career. His goal record doesn't really match the player that he was. Only 247 club goals in 347 games. That's It doesn't match up to the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi. But for me, a, a better striker, the best striker that's ever lived than play football. Ryan, you must be fully aware of Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, one of, if not the best, you know, out-and-out striker... Yeah. Of all down, you know, obviously, yeah, you got up a Pele in that conversation as well. But you know, the just the finishing ability, and you know, you, you look at those compilation videos, and they they're great goals as well. They're not all say tapping or anything like that. It's no. all great goals. And you said it, his, his goal scoring record. I mean, that one season at Barcelona is just ridiculous. And that was down Barcelona as well. That wasn't the team we know now. That was a a, a poor iteration of a Barcelona team. And I think Robbie sort of said it, obviously, the back end of his career and, and what he's doing now, obviously, gets gets a lot of attention. It's a bit really depressing. I typed Ronaldo into Google to get the stats up and it was all about Cristiano. And I had to type in <laughs> Brazilian Ronaldo <laughs> to get it. And that, that, that's <laughs> sad. Imagine that is, being that a legend and, and having to be known as the Brazilian, Brazilian Ronaldo. Ronaldo. <laughs> and obviously, some pe- and obviously a lot, there's a lot of people that are called him like, the fat Ronaldo and stuff yeah. like that. And it's, you know... His his impact on the game. I was tempted not to include him just for the the absolutely shocking haircut that he had during the (laughs) 2006, was it, World Cup? Which was the one where he had that bit at the front and everything else was shaved. The bit at the front and nothing nothing else. (laughs) As someone someone who's lost a lot of hair over the last 10 years, I just find that (laughs) a tragic waste of hair. Yeah, Yeah. tell me about it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that can be said on this podcast that hasn't been said on numerous podcasts about on this show about Ronaldo before. He, for me, is the, the greatest ever striker. And Messi and Ronaldo, they're, they're forward players. They, they're not out-and-out strikers. They play all over the, up the, the, the last third of the pitch. Ronaldo was get the ball, head down, goal, goal every time. And he he's a phenomenon of the Knights, which we're never really going to see again, I don't think, that kind of that mould of a striker. And, of course, the, the hat-trick for is it Real Madrid at, at Old Trafford, where the entire oh, yeah. crowd just stand in ovation. That, that's that's yeah. one of the best hat-tricks you'll ever see. And, and listen, Neymar's a really good player, but he, I think someone mentioned it to join the World Cup. I mean, it just is not anywhere on the same level no. as Ronaldo at all. Nowhere no. And, no, if, and, if, no. and if Neymar's worth £200 million, pounds, you have to imagine what someone like Ronaldo would be worth. You know, twenty-three-year-old Ronaldo will be worth now. Yeah, he went for twenty-seven million in nineteen ninety-seven. That was that was a world record at, at the time. You can add a zero to the end of that, I think. Yeah, you probably you probably get a championship striker for that. Now, <laughs> <you>? <laughs> Just played seven million for Patrick Bamford. So yeah, great player. Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You, one more player. Then who's your final striker in this team? Okay, the, the, I, and you probably had this guy a lot as well. I, I feel like you, you you couldn't not have him in. Um, if you go onto YouTube, there are just clip, and I've watched this video so many times over the years of just his passes in in the Premier League, these through balls, right. um, his 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 use of the ball from from deep positions to to lay on goals for other people, and then just the single best goals that you will see in, in Premier League history, in my opinion, just the skill of the man. I, I don't think anybody scored goals like him, and that's Dennis Bergkamp, oh. and and I, you just think of. Uh, just, uh, I really, I really don't think there's anybody who has scored the types of goals that he scored. So I'm thinking of the one at the World Cup against Argentina. Yes. Have you ever seen anybody score a goal like that? I mean, just the way that it, it was, a, it was a, it was a de- de- definitive Bergkamp goal. Yeah. You think in the Premier League, the one, you know, I'm thinking of the one against Spurs when Ian Wright plays it to the far post. He just with one touch to get away from the defender, and mm. and more often than not, in that kind of cross that's coming to the far post, and you're in an awkward position, your body position's all wrong. You're probably letting it drop over your shoulder and you pick it and you're chasing after it at the corner flag to keep it in and try and get across in yourself. Yeah. He has one touch to get over to bring it inside from the defender and then smashes it into the goal from a difficult angle. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, that a brilliant goal. You've got the one at Newcastle where it goes into him at the edge of the box oh, and he yes. kind of just flicks it behind him, if you know what I mean, and then he turns away from the defender. Spin, so that there's a little bit of spin. Then the, the underrated bit of the goal is that he holds the defender off and uses his strength to just know this is my goal and just sort of delicately just toe pokes it in with no effort at all past yeah. the goalkeeper. I mean, just an unreal goal. And then there's obviously the the, the one against Leicester, yeah. which is, you know, juggling it on the edge of the six-yard box and then just fires it in. And you just see the defender with his, his heads and his hands. <laughs> after immediately. I think it's Matt Elliott just stood was, there. And he's like, hmm. what, have I, what has just happened there? Yeah. And he just couldn't compute the goal that had just been scored and and obviously the one against Argentina as well to do it on on the biggest stage of all I mean I don't think we'll, they're, they're just all they're, they're trademark goals for him aren't they yeah. and 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 I just think a, a wonderful player for the goals for the assists for his touch on the ball just incredible well I don't think we'll see a player quite like him again no he's yeah, he's one of definitely one of a kind. He he wasn't an out and out striker, but he wasn't also he didn't play kind of play in the hole. He played up front a lot of the time with Thierry Henry or with Ian Wright and 
like I say, his passing is probably the underrated part of his game. He must have had so many assists to go along with the fantastic goals. That goal against Leicester was a hat-trick, but you don't remember the other two. All I do remember is Matt Elliott thinking, what, what was I supposed to do? I've done all I can, and I've had no chance of stopping that from going in. Yeah, the one against Argentina, to just bring that under control from such a long ball, and so close to the bite line as well. Bring it in and whip it past me, it's Carlos Roa. It was a superb goal. And... I mean, two and a half million pounds Bruce Riott signed him for. I said, sorry, seven Incredible. and a half million. That's, that is... It's ridiculous, isn't it? Today. Like I just said, we just paid that for Patrick Bamford. Seven I mean, and a half million uh, for Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, for, obviously, you know, financials in football have changed a lot since yeah. since Bergkamp was up. But the, the fact remains that he's just such an incredibly technical, technically gifted footballer. Mm. And um, Rob, you said it. The, the the type of goals he scored, they weren't just. There's so many goals you can watch of his and just think no one else would either have the audacity to try it, let alone pull it off. Yeah. And that is why, for me, he's just such a good player. And when you were sort of introducing, I thought there's only going to be a couple of people this could potentially be. One of them was Burkamp. Yeah. And you just think, brilliant Premier League player. And it'll always be remembered for, for those. Special, special goal. And, and, and you know, I think the goals are the main thing, really, because you look at someone like Luis Suarez, for example. I don't think you can think of a. If you were trying to picture a Luis Suarez goal, I don't think there's a type of goal that you would think for someone like that, or, or pick any sort of modern day player. I mean, the, the, there are players that have scored lots of goals in the career and obviously are very good players, but Bergkamp just had a type of goal that was his, that was so easily his. And, like his trademark and, almost. Yeah, it's a trademark. He, you know, he could put a little C next to the goals. So it's copyright, <laughs> and they, they were just his. And um, I, I just loved him as a player. Um, wish he was English. Oh gosh, can you imagine Burkamp and Shearer? <laughs> <laughs> oh god, or Burkamp and Wright? Ian Wright might score two goals for England. So that's a combination that we'll probably have at some point in the future on the show, anyway. Yeah. Well, that's that's your team. What's the team? Um, any, it's not, um, not bad. No, it's not bad, is it? Any more honourable mentions? You've got Shevchenko as your first choice, but any others? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a guy earlier. Zvonimir Boban was just, oh. uh, I think, he's probably the forgotten man of Croatian football. I know yeah, he does something with FIFA player. now. And, you know, every, everybody talks about the great Croatia players because they've had so many. I mean, this isn't... We, we acted during the World Cup like it's a team that's suddenly just appeared and, <laughs> and you know... Oh, oh yeah, they've they've always been decent, but actually, when you think about it, for, for a good twenty odd years now, they've had fantastic world class players, haven't they? And yeah. and Boban is is perhaps one that just is is often forgotten. Was was terrific in Italy at a time when it, Italian football was thriving as well. Um, I think that, that you know there's a player that you would have to you would certainly want to include in a team. Um, I mean, there's, there are so many quality players that you know I've had I've had the fortune to to watch live in the nineties and. And, and since you know, whether you know, you mentioned Shearer, there was an exceptional scorer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of top Premier League players that have retired in, in recent history that you you could include there. Um, there are many many Italians of the 90s that you could put in. We've, we've talked about a few of them. Um, you know, Paolo Maldini would be a mm-hmm. would be a top shout. You look through the Brazilian teams, and you know, someone like Romario, another kind of forgotten Brazilian talent of of yesteryear, and Roberto Baggio, people like that you you could put in. Yeah. I mean, players players that were legendary. You know, it's it's funny because players were had their own little unique characteristics. I mean, Baggio with a with a ponytail, for example. Yeah. To, 
almost complimented who he was as a player. And you would you, you would only you'd see a picture of him and you knew who he was straight away. And mm-hmm. and that, that was that was what was great about football. And I, I wish that footballers would have a bit of bit more character about them these days. So that they all have the same haircut and they all say the same things at press conferences. <laughs> yeah, it's just true. What this podcast stuff me, I'm not, I'm not the usual host. I'm stepping in for Ali. This made me really miss the 90s. I'm going to have to go and watch some classic Sky Sports, I think, tonight. That's <laughs> your task it's, now. It's a, 90s football, I, I don't think... It's the best. Obviously, it's, it's not as... They weren't as great as athletes as they are now. And perhaps even you could argue there are technically better players now because of the, the dedication to the game and the professional nature of, yeah. of the top teams and, and the, the competition level has, has increased. I mean, yes, I read a piece a couple of years ago after the Euros. I think it was Tony Cascarino saying they should play tennis side these days because they're, <laughs> they're so athletic that there's no space on the pitch anymore. True. And it would make the game more entertaining. And certainly during the 2010 World Cup, you watched it and you know you watched teams dominate possession and win 1-0. Yeah. You kind of thought, maybe that's a decent shout playing tennis side. <laughs> but you, you look in the 90s and there was just an entertainment factor in the game. It was, it was starting to... The, the money was starting to come into the game and was helping the game, but it hadn't quite exploded yet, had it? No. And there were just so many great characters... It seemed a bit more competitive, you know. Winning the European Championship seems to be worth more than it does now, um, and um, yeah, I think we'll always miss those days. I think every team had a superstar rather than a team full of superstars. It was more, more entertaining, definitely, anyway, from my perspective. You've got to pick a captain from this lot. You've got a lot of strong candidates in there. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's it's whether or not you want to go for that emotional leader or that sort of hard man leader, or whether yeah. you want to go for leads by example. Um, that's, a, that's a tricky choice for me. Isn't it? So you got a lot of choices. Because yeah. I, I tell you what, imagine being in the dressing room and telling Rory Key that Tony <laughs> Adams is your captain. <laughs> that's not going to go down well. No. Uh, you go, what is this nonsense? Just bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to rip his head off when he told me. That's, the, that's what he'd say. Um, I think you know they all they all have their own. The, the candidates all have their own merits, but I think. Tony Adams was was like a, a, a captain. It was like a. It was almost his position was almost captain rather than just centre half. Yeah. So, so I think you, you give him the armband um, on that basis. It's a strong shout, and it's always good to have a centre back as a captain as well. Always agree with that move. Not not this striker malarkey. No. <laughs> Get it off Harry Kane. Give it to someone yep. like that. Anyway, that is our show for this week. That was fantastic, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, where yeah, can people you. find you on Twitter and uh, everywhere else on the internet? Well, if if they enjoy tweets about South Yorkshire football and, and the Seattle Seahawks, then it's at Rob Staten. Um, and if they, you know, we're, we've actually, with the season starting, we, we do a show every single night. So if you're in Yorkshire and you want to have a listen to that, um, then please feel free on BBC Radio Sheffield between six and seven o'clock. It's usually fun. There you go. Uh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, my Twitter is at the Ryan Goodman. And uh, marathonish.com, of course, is all your all your work. All, all the all the work at the moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's where it all goes. <laughs> I mean, not even being paid for it. And you can find me on the internet at rosspo974. And of course, we're all on at Mar on the Post. Um, we've got tons of shows lined up for the new season. This is just one of them. So get ready for all the content coming at you from marathonish.com. Until Ali returns with Ryan in a couple of weeks' time or next week, uh, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Ryan. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Rob. See ya. Thank you very much.